talking tropes. Trope or treat, it's a spooky episode tonight. I'm Hannah. And I'm David. And, and today we're gonna. It's Halloween! It's Halloween. Woo. Yeah, today we're gonna be talking about uh, some spooky things uh, that we like to talk about, but we're gonna be telling it specifically from an American perspective. Yeah, um, so I don't know about all of you out there, uh, and I don't know about you, David, but personally, every single year since it first aired, I rewatch Over the Garden Wall. Um, during the month of October. It's a tradition. It's a tradition! It's down from generation to generation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it will be. Um, like this and like Hocus Pocus, man. Every year. <laughs> um, but yeah, so for those of you who don't know, Over the Garden Wall is uh, it's an animated short series. Um, Directed by Patrick McHale. Yes. Um, and it sort of follows these two brothers who get lost in the world of the unknown um, and are trying to find their way home again. Uh, and because I was rewatching this, um, and I know it's it's also one of your faves, we decided Absolutely. to talk about um, a trope that this falls under called fantasy Americana. Yeah, I think this is a it's a fairly underdeveloped trope on the TV Tropes website. There's a few examples. Some of them seem kind of contradictory. It's it's not really all well hammered out. So so how would you define fantasy Americana personally? Yeah. Um so personally, I feel like fantasy Americana is it's a show or some piece of media that takes the tropes, uh, or not, not necessarily even necessarily the tropes, but like the aesthetics of old folk tales and wives' tales um, and stuff like that, and a, a lot of things that we traditionally associate, um, at least in America, with European fairy tales, but adds like that American twist, um, so that it's not Hansel and Gretel, it's what what would Hansel and Gretel look like in America? And we it's a fundamentally different story, I think. Um, right, because the the foundations of American culture and the foundations of European culture, you know, while they have a similar root, America is is just a fundamentally different place. Exactly, and and I think um, I don't know if I'm the first to make this observation, <laughs> uh, but the the difference between um, Europe and America tends to be that Europe is old, America is big. Um, so that's an interesting distinction. I like that. Yeah, like a lot of the fairy tales and horror and um, f- types of fantasy that is usually told in uh, European tales deals with how old and ancient something is and that this this tree has lived a thousand years and so there's a whole fairy society that lives under it and you don't go into the woods because there's something lurking out there and it's not too far to the house but you might get lost for a long time and come back a thousand years later like like that tends to be the european myth whereas the american myth is you drive for 20 hours on a highway and you're still driving on the same highway, and everything looks the same, 
and you've got 20 more hours left to drive, you know, and like, and something's going to get you during that 40 hours of driving that you've got to do. Um, sure. It's, it's the mystery of the, the wild West a little bit, that sort of vast unknown. Um, Sure. And obviously, you know, a lot of this is built on sort of, you know, faulty premises of like the untamed wilderness. No one could survive in this harsh wilderness. You know, these lands have been occupied for thousands of years before Europeans get there. For sure. And then, you know, we're we're basically just a bunch of uh, a bunch of pussies because we can't (laughs) handle it. Right. Um, Like the natives. But but I think just because America stretches from coast to coast and, like, has, like, like, even in the middle of the desert, even if there was a community here or there, it's just these long stretches of nothing um, where it is just sort of wilderness. and It's all just... the unknown. It's, uh... Yes. And, and so I, I think, think that's, you know, that's part of sort of the difference between what makes Over the Garden Wall feel maybe a little more American than, uh, than you know, classic European fairy tale is that the woods are, you know, they're, they're, they're less of just a place of danger as like a place that needs to be explored thoroughly. You need to find your way in the woods rather than right. just like... Um, and, and I think the idea of the woods being a metaphor for growth and change and challenge and overcoming and what have you, um, it, it's not new. <laughs> um, it's not particularly original, but it's a good one. It's, it's one that I love. Um, I'm a big fan of the musical Into the Woods. I know you are not. <laughs> Um, but, you know, I think it tries to just take a bunch of, uh, of fairy tales and turn them on their head without any real thought or logic into how they fit together or what those things actually represent in their original context. It's just like, Hey, you know, wouldn't it be kind of funny and chill if like the, the giant's wife comes and is angry that the (laughs) giant's dead. Yeah. yeah. Um but but I think the the again just that metaphor of the woods are the unknown, the woods are challenge, the woods are a method of personal personal growth. Um I think that's something that's still like a a trope in within the trope of fantasy americana. For sure. And I mean like a, a lot of american myths and folklore have to do with um, the woods and conquering the woods. We're talking, you know, Davy Crockett or, you know, Paul Bunyan, who, you know, tamed the woods by chopping down trees. Right, yeah. Or someone Um, like, you know, even someone like John Henry, while for sure that was like a man versus machine type thing, it was also about, you know, getting that railroad that, that... crisscrosses across America. Right. It's about conquering the unknown. It's it's yeah. about getting being able to get from point A to point B. Um yeah, and it's, it's very interesting that a lot of these American folktales um 
very focused on male heroism and uh, demonizing powerful women, a la, like, all of the stuff that's happened around, like, the Salem witch trials, um, which... Right, well, that was obviously a thing that really happened. Well, yes. But the superstitious elements of American history that or that originate in these small, um, uneducated, puritanical towns... Like, that absolutely bleeds into a lot of the spookiness. Right. Um, and, yeah. And, and then, I mean, we've also got, like, um, creatures that populate this unknown world. Um, right, because we did conquerors. discover a lot of new animals that we hadn't seen before. Right. So, like, you know... As, you... Which was, was depicted in particularly, like uncomfortable fashion in in pocahontas the disney version oh yeah um where he's like what is this mysterious creature (laughs) it's it's a raccoon it's just a trash goblin um yeah but (laughs) not a trash goblin is stuff like bigfoot and mothman um and i think even more recently is stuff like slenderman um but would you consider them to be purely American folklore? Or have we have we reached a point where modern urban myths are, are not centralized by country because they're myths about the city, you know, the cityscape? Um, which, like, are you talking about Slenderman? I'm talking about urban myths in general, Slenderman... Or, you know, just any any creepypasta you've ever seen. Sure. Is there anything inherently American about a creepypasta? Um, you're right. There isn't no, I don't think there's just, like, any old one. Um, but stuff like Jeff Bigfoot um, being, like, there's an unknown creature out there in the wilderness. Like, hell yeah, that feels really American. Um like, in, in European fairy tales, it's not that it's an unknown creature. It's, we know what that creature is, and it will kill you ten different ways to Sunday. Um, and, like, with with the Mothman, which uh, is a, a forebringer of death, like, I think that is, it's like an, an Appalachian um, myth. I, I Appalachian. Think, Appalachian, yeah. Um, I like, I, that feels very American to me. And, and I mean, I think to some, some extent Slenderman does as well, though I think because that one is newer, um, it, it just, a lot of it feels very internet age, um, which, right. which has, I think a different feel than, um, stuff like Johnny Appleseed or, uh, like fairy tales that we're, we're used to hearing. Um, right. but, but like, I mean, who knows a hundred years from now when people weren't around when Slenderman was created, uh, like, it'll be interesting to see if it takes on that sort of, that same level of, uh, myth, mythic, mythic gravitas. Sure. And I think it's interesting to sort of decode, like, what's the difference between a story and a piece of folklore? You know, like, did people really believe that there was a giant man named Paul Bunyan with a big blue ox who could chop down six trees in a minute or whatever the myth may be? Mm -hmm. Like, no, but the reason it becomes folklore 
is because it's not compiled in a specific unmovable text. Right. It's it's largely, you know, an oral tradition. It's it's an oral history. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's derived from numerous stories that sort of get conglomerate conglomerated together and uh it's it it speaks to something about the culture that it's that it's founded in. Yeah, it's, I and I think in the same way that a lot of horror stories in general or fantasy stories or sci-fi stories they are set in these somewhat fantastical realms, but they address modern and um, contemporary anxieties of that society. Right. Um, so, you know, what about, like, haunted houses? In, yeah. In terms of, like, is there a difference between an American haunted house and a European haunted house or, or any <laughs> other kind of haunted abode i don't know that's actually an interesting question um i can't say that i have experienced a lot of like i'm what do you mean by haunted house when i like when i watched the conjuring and then i went and watched the conjuring 2 okay the one that's set in england um i kind of felt like the conjuring one it just it just felt more natural that these ghost stories be taking place in just an old house out in the middle of nowhere in America. And if you move it to England and you have all these shots of like London, like modern London, it's weird. Is that, yeah. is that, is that wrong or, well, I think you know, that what just is might... it about ghost stories? I think, that... I think that one might just be a case of rural versus urban. Um, sure. Because yeah, I agree that like shots of London seems weird, but like old ghost stories feels very European um, and American. Like right, but what is what is a ghost story to a European? Like you said, if the difference is old versus big, why are there still so many stories in you know American culture of these old old money houses, big huge mansions that are left abandoned? Why is that so unsettling? And and what is it about American culture that, that feeds into those stories as well? I don't know if I have an answer to that. <laughs> I think it might be I think it might be something to do with um, you know, capitalism versus n- nobility and you know, what, like in in Europe you have nobles and when they are, you know, taken from their homes, I feel like it's typically either there was like a revolution or something. Yeah. Or it was some tragic event that ended in the complete destruction of a family. Right. Whereas in America, it's it's almost like like anybody is supposed to be able to become rich and wealthy enough to have a giant mansion right. and then die in it. <laughs> so so maybe maybe there's something to that, like when you when you gain money and move above your class and it's like entering a haunted house. Yeah. Like the ghosts of everybody that you've stepped on to get there. I don't know. Maybe yeah. I'm reaching. Um, well, so let, let's move back to Over the Garden Wall. Um, sure. Well, why don't we talk about sort of the the mythic origins of all the different plot points in Over the Garden Wall? Sure. You know? That sounds good. Like, let's talk about Hansel and Gretel. Let's talk about, you know, the... Little Red Riding Hood, Beasts in the Woods type of thing. Yeah. 
Um, so in in Over the Garden Wall, the our two main characters, Greg and Wirt, um, played by Elijah Wood. Uh, and some kid. And some kid. Sorry, kid. I'm sure you're great. Um, they're wandering through the unknown, which is a wooded land with a couple of towns and houses along the way. Um, and they're being pursued by and told to beware of the beast. And, um, you know, at first they, they make a lot of assumptions throughout the story and all of those assumptions end up being proved wrong pretty much. Um, in a sense it can be, it can be read as a story about superstition. Yeah. it's a, it's a story wherein there are a lot of superstitious people that end up discovering that their superstitions were not correct, or there's a lot of legitimately supernatural elements that people don't seem to notice or, or understand um, yeah. in any actual scientific sort of way. <laughs> right. Um, or or they, they assume... That a curse means one thing, but it really means another. All right. Well, we'll backtracking a little bit. Um, so, so like the superstitious element is really there, um, you know, as it as it exists in European fairy tales. The superstitions are always to be heeded. It's they're like more they're morality tales that use superstition to teach morals. So it's like you know don't ever go into a house made of candy is basically don't talk to strangers. But like the superstition is supposed to be proven correct. Whereas in this one, it's, it's, it's more like, you know, if you see a ghost, maybe it's friendly. If you see (laughs) a giant wolf, maybe it's not really a giant wolf. Maybe it's a dog that ate a turtle Yeah, or, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, it is. It's a little bit mythbustery, um, in, in certain ways, but there's always a supernatural element there anyway. Yes. You know? When they go to the town and it's full of a creepy cult, when they go to Pottsville and there's a creepy cult of pumpkin-headed weirdos, um, they were right to be a little creeped out and disturbed. They just weren't ever in any danger. Right, um, and, and they weren't right about why they needed to be creeped out. They thought that they were going to get murdered or that these people Sacrificed all... for the harvest or something. Uh, yeah, and no, but it's actually, just... they were just, you know... Skeletons. Talking to a bunch of dead guys. <laughs> They're just all a bunch of skeletons. And a, Being and led a by a cat. The, their king was a cat, yeah. With an amazing voice. There's also the theme of innocence versus responsibility, which I think is also pretty common across, uh, like, European fairy tales. Um, I mean, this is this dates back. I mean, this is pretty biblical. Yeah, sure. It, you know, am I my brother's keeper? This is some Cain and Abel shit. Oh, um, I mean, yeah. Like, well, there's for sure that, but I think, interestingly, this one, this this show challenges the pretense of responsibility that Wirt feels for Greg um, and it actually causes him as an older brother to become more responsible but not through being more strict or less caring but by being able to sort of become more innocent in the same way that Greg is and that's what's able... You, you, you lost me. No. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know what you mean by that. I mean, Wirt does not 
change in order to like become more go with the flow accepting of everything. Yeah, he totally he, does. I mean, like he does when you get back to the real world. But no, I, I don't, no, even I, within I don't necessarily the show see itself. how that's related to his experiences. What do you I mean? mean? Well, I think a really clear signifier of that is that at the beginning when they're um, they meet up with this bluebird, Beatrice, who's going to bring them to Adelaide, the good woman of the woods or the pasture. Um, and Greg makes up like a fun little song and Wirt is annoyed, doesn't want to sing, isn't into Greg's shenanigans, doesn't want to have any fun, basically, is too focused on his own anxieties and his own worries and about getting back and isn't able. Well, I mean, he was never a joyless, like empty soul. I mean, he was just lost in the woods trying to get back because they're lost in the freaking woods. Sure. But like, I, I don't know if I'm with you on this. I don't this know. Theme I, he of he's got to become more like Greg. In I order think, to escape. I think he's a character who is wrought with anxiety and that keeps him from taking action at all. Um, and then Greg is a character who is plagued by too much action, um, and that sometimes he makes really dumb choices, but he's making But I don't think either of them are punished for being the way that they are. I mean, I don't know, you know if Greg is, but I think for sure Wirt does. Like, this whole experience is most people, like, telling Wirt that he's wrong in some way or another, and, like, he has to figure out if he is and like half the time I don't, okay like can we go story by story and sure see if that really happens yeah i mean so we go to pottsville and yeah. yeah he's afraid but so was beatrice totally and they definitely needed to get the fuck out of there like yeah. the problem was that he didn't want to trust beatrice which ends up being his initial instinct to not trust a talking bird was correct <laughs> Yes. Because this was a betraying bird. This was a betraying bird. Um, so I don't know if he's really taught a lesson there. And then, like, the next time we are expected to, like, learn a lesson, it's that he's too obedient. Which I don't know if that was ever really, like, a character flaw that needed to be corrected. And it doesn't really relate to the solving of the problem of the episode. Sure. And then, and then what do we got? You know, he, he meets a witch... And he judges the witch because he's got the hots for the witch's daughter, but then the daughter turns out to be a demon. Okay, but no, but, she's really fine. But that's after uh, the betrayal. So before that, we have the whole episode where they're like, "Who are?" There's the episode in the tavern. Um, yeah. Where the everyone in there is basically a character trope as a personality. Um, where I'm the baker. I'm the baker. And I'm, I'm the highway man. Um, I'm the calligrapher. Yeah. Um, and so they're trying to codify him and figure out who he is. And he's like, well, I'm not into labels, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's the correct view to have of yourself. Like, him being forced to take on the role of, like, the pilgrim doesn't help him become a better person. <laughs> no, it doesn't. But it, it does... He realizes why he doesn't want the labels. You know, like, he realizes Beatrice is in trouble and is like, we out. <laughs> like, I, I don't I guess, know. He's, well, he's, I mean, I don't think any of this is related to him becoming more like Greg. And Greg is absolutely never told to be more like Wirt. I mean, I think that when it comes down to it, it's it's a story about superstition. 
like I was saying before, it's a story about, you know, coming to grips with all the preconceptions we have about things we don't understand. And then realizing that maybe, you know, if we know you, if you know yourself, then you know the woods. And I think Wirt doesn't learn to be more like Greg. He just learns to know himself and okay. who he is. And he just becomes more sure of what he was in episode one, which is a skeptical kind of snippy, narcissistic, but, you know, ultimately loving brother to Wirt or to Greg. Yeah. And Greg is an eternally optimistic, um, goofball. eternally helpful goofball who likes rock facts. Rock fact. Um, okay. I, I guess that I, I, I think I would agree with you. Um, I don't know. I still believe that Wirt becomes a more open and caring person. But so would anyone on any, in any arc, in any, like, I mean, I don't think I've ever heard of a TV show where, like, the the grump becomes more grumpy by the end of it. He just becomes more happy and comfortable. (laughs) He doesn't, he doesn't become more trusting or more uh, carefree. He doesn't do anything random. You know, he's not, there's nothing changing to make him more like Greg. Yeah. Okay. I think you're right. To to be fair, um, there was like a whole episode about this on PBS Idea Channel, um, which was a, a YouTube show that ran like a while back. Yeah. And I was the the one asshole commenting on that video that everything in the video was wrong. <laughs> 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 so like, I mean, the PBS Idea Channel sides with you that that's what this story is about, but I just don't see it. And maybe that's because I'm a grumpy grump like Wirt. Yeah, maybe you need to get lost in the woods with your innocent brother. <laughs> Did you just tell me to get lost in the woods? Yeah. That's so rude. Yeah, get lost, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so I I think to to speak to your point about the fact uh, about being skeptical is um, the episode where they they need money to get on the ferry, which is very greek myth <laughs> um yeah they need exactly two cents yeah to ride need... the river sticks yeah truly um and so they uh, they find a rich dude named uh quincy endicott uh <laughs> and they are trying to basically scam him out of two pennies and or he's a tea man he's an endicott yeah best British tea that's ever did exist. Um, but it turns into a ghost story where he believes that there's a ghost of a beautiful woman um, and he wants to find it again, but is also terrified of it. So they go on a ghost hunt, but then it turns out that, no, it's not a ghost. Two rich idiots just built their houses into each other. Right. I mean, in this story, the the superstition of haunted mansions of these rich people, you know, these wealthy magnates who build these giant estates and then believe them to be haunted. The actual thing that's haunting them is capitalism. Um, (laughs) In the end, it's just that they're so rich that they've literally built a house so big that, that they get lost in it and forget who's living next door to them. But I mean, I feel like you could also look at it, like, I don't believe this, but I'm 
just through textual evidence, I feel like you could say that, oh, but it was capitalism that brought their houses together in the first place, because if they weren't rich enough, they wouldn't have been able to meet, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I I think that would be a fair reading as well, but I I just, I I like to think of it, you know, what it is, is it's breaking down, what you know, the superstition. It's breaking down, like, well, why, why do we... Why do we get spooked out by this junk? Why yeah. do we get spooked out by pumpkin heads? Well, you know, because because they're creepy. They're creepy pumpkin heads. Yeah, and man. they're they're built <laughs> around these weird old rituals that no one really knows why they're there. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, I feel like that's very uh, Ichabod Crane, headless horseman. Oh, for sure. Like the pumpkin head thing. Um, yeah. And what, I mean, isn't the I don't idea- know. Are ja- where did jack lanterns come from? Are they are they an American thing? Are they an Irish Celtic thing? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they're American, though. I want to say they're American. Um, or do we just think that because we're American and Americans absorb all other cultures and then dissolve them in a big <laughs> stew? In the big stew, yeah. Um, the melting pot is just. Big fucking superstition stew. Yeah. So, I mean, I think for Over the Garden Wall 2 to sort of get back to, like, fantasy Americana a little bit, um, I feel like a lot of the Americana part of this is very aesthetic in certain ways. Um, Oh, absolutely. I mean, the whole thing is purposefully set in, like, turn of the, you know, late, 19th century early 20th century america steamboats and lots of references to early animation well some of it i mean it's very anachronistic because i feel like some of it is like steamboats and southern gothic vibes and parasols and such but then there's also people who look like they're pilgrims stepping off the mayflower in 1600 you know um, yeah, and then you've got the highwayman. The highwayman. Makings <laughs> meet. You know, and, and like within that same episode, like the tavern keeper is very Betty Boop. Um, Extremely Betty Boop, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Her little squeaky voice. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, there's just like a lot that... It's just sort of very referential to the American culture it was born out of. And it, it definitely pays homage sure. to animation that's come before, um, I mean, stories that have come like before. Dress is supposed to be like a, I, I think it's a Union soldier, not a Confederate soldier, but it's like a Civil War cloak. Yeah, yeah, it it is. It's, um, it is a Union scarf or cloak. Um, Unless I'm wrong. <laughs> no, you're not wrong. But like he he's dressed up as like a a gnome for Halloween. Um, and <laughs> Greg is this quote unquote elephant. That was the best reveal in the whole show. Yeah. <laughs> and you're dressed as it's an elephant. <laughs> he for for those of you who haven't seen it, he has a. Uh, Tea kettle upside down on his head so that the kettle handle looks like an elephant nose. But it doesn't look anything. It's just insane. And then he's also wearing like suspenders and like a little outfit. Green overalls (laughs) and a little bolo tie. Um, Uh, 
bow tie, not a bolo. Is it a, is bow, it a bow, bow tie? tie? It's like a string. It's like a string tie. Oh, it is a bolo tie. I thought it was... Man, I've been picturing them all wrong. All wrong. No sense at all. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of frogs and turtles, which I feel like those tend to be extremely like fairy taleish animals. Oh yeah, I don't know why. There's like the frog prince and you know uh, turtle the the tortoise and the hare. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I really why thought these, you were like, gonna amphibious... pull. I really thought you were gonna pull out uh, Swan Lake, but like the. Swan Princess animated version where she's friends with a turtle. With the turtles, yeah. Yeah. Didn't grow um, up with that f- film. No, that's fine. You're not missing much. Um, and, and there's a lot of talk of witches in this show, too. Can't can't have a good spooky Halloween story without some witches. Um, yeah, but it felt very... Um, it, it felt very L. Frank Baum to me. You know? Yeah, yeah. It, it did, felt very which wizard, is very American. Of Oz. Um, was was L. Frank Baum American? I, I thought believe he was so. English. Hold on. All right, wait. Should we pause this. and look it up real quick? He is American. Yeah. So then that makes a lot of sense for what we're saying. Yeah. Yeah, L. Frank Baum, great American fantasy writer, um, and maybe it is a, a purely American tale. This. This girl who goes on an adventure to, uh, you know, basically discover that the power structures that be are a bunch of junk, but then ultimately finding her way back home again to the the rural south. Yeah. Well, I mean, or Kansas, the I guess southwest, Midwest, Midwest. Yeah. Um. In in any case, the, the idea being like you go to the big city, you see that there's a bunch of bunk ass uh politicians pseudo politicians up there controlling everybody bunch of witches and then you come back home having learned something yeah they're American. all really really strong um really easily trackable versions of campbell's uh the hero's journey um yeah it's it's really really good paint by numbers stuff um, yeah, as far as and that I mean, goes. more so than just like the hero's journey in general, I've seen a lot of people compare Over the Garden Wall to Dante's Inferno, which is very big mythic, and this is a little bit smaller mythic, but it, it still kind of has that scale because what is at stake is the children's eternal souls. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I, I do want to talk a little bit more about witches though before we move on too sure. far. Let's talk about um, witches. Just because I think this goes back into the point that you were saying earlier um, about skepticism and assumptions, and I think The Wizard of Oz is a great example now, too, of pulling back the, the curtain on those things, um, where the the witch that they're seeking out in the first place, Adelaide, the good woman of the past year, is actually kind of evil and wants a child slave and turned a... Uh, girl into a bluebird <laughs> um yeah and and as a side note one of the most european things about over the garden wall is just the the tiny plot point that in order to turn you know first of all a girl gets turned into a bird yeah horrifying animal transformations are very european mm-hmm. um 
But then the idea that you have to snip off the wings with scissors yeah. to turn her back into a human, is, it feels so European. I, I, don't I mean, know there's like a German fairy tale called the Scissorman, <laughs> which is just like a creepy guy who cuts off the thumbs of bad children. Ugh. Or, yeah. you know, shit like that. And then, you know, lots of European stories just have this, like, weird gore element. <laughs> yeah, I think that's actually a really good point. Um, because I feel like a lot of American mythos and American fairy tales... Um, we whitewash it. We whitewash it, I guess. But, it, yeah, yeah, it's just Not like, white like the race, but white yeah. like... We, we remove all the sharp edges. Yeah, it's it's that puritanical thing again of... Oh, it has to be scary and intimidating and devil, the devil will get you. Um, but, you know, the devil's just going to damn your immortal soul. He's not going to, like, cut your thumbs off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot. Of, there's a lot of eating in, you know, American myths. Things will eat you. Yes, but... you'll get devoured. But devouring, I think, is a pretty common fear. Yeah. No one wants to be someone else's lunch. Um, but yeah, so so there's Adelaide, who's a bad witch, um, but they think is good. And it's revealed that she is evil. Um, and then I love that she's killed by the night air. Um, because there used to be a myth, uh, or not, not myth, I guess just like... The same people who believed in bloodletting would cure you. Um, we're like, oh, the night air. It was air. just a plain superstition. But yeah. This is, it's being played out super literally. Yeah, that the, the night air was full of the miasma. Um, yep. And it'll it'll get you. Yep. Don't. I, I, I'm surprised that there wasn't another witch who was like, oh, no, I can't go swimming. I just ate 19 minutes ago. Yeah, ah. exactly. Um, but so then the other witch that they encounter, um, originally we think that she's keeping this girl captive when really she's taking care of the girl, um, so that she doesn't accidentally turn into a demon and devour people. Yeah. That's, that's auntie whispers. Yeah. Like, which is probably the creepiest thing in the whole series. I fucking love that episode. Auntie Whiskers um, is horrifying, but I love what her. What a good vocal performance um, by, it was uh, Tim Curry, right? Yeah, I believe so. Just an amazing performance. And, like, very different than other Tim Curry voice performances that I love. Yeah, like, not like immediately Nigel identifiable. <laughs> no, he's just, like, doing this weird droning, Oh, Lorna, you must eat your... Turtles. Yes. I don't know. They will be devoured tonight. So we've talked about witches, but then I also kind of want to talk about the beast, who's the main antagonist throughout this. Um, this yeah, sort of... the central threat that, that everyone's always warning about. And, and the choice to not name him something like Belzebor or <laughs> Ikaman. Jickum, 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 Azarathic Cobb. Yeah, like they didn't name him because he is just the 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 figure of beastliness. Yeah, he just he just eats people's souls, and he just and... exists as a as a shadow, um, this like antlered shadow who sings ominously, um, and is tricky. He's he's very devilish. Um, right. He's he's and. The, the interesting thing about him, again, is 
his his existence as a threat is largely because of superstition. Yeah. The superstition that you have to keep this lantern lit is the thing that actually keeps him alive. And it's about confronting that superstition and saying, no, superstitions are dumb. These are the things that we lie and tell ourselves because we're scared of the unknown. Right. Um, it's, it's exactly that. Um, and that's ultimately how he's defeated as Wirt goes, hey, wait a minute. I don't have to scare you. I don't have to fight you. You're vulnerable. You're weak. I can pull back the curtain on this. I'm going to Dorothy my way out of Oz and get the heck home. (laughs) Uh, And I'm going to blow out this lantern. It's a classic idea of, you know, the more you try and fight your fear of the dark or of the woods or of beasts and monsters and animals the the more scared you become and, right. and the less likely you are to get out alive. Well, it's it's the more fear you have for something, the more your fear feeds it. Um, like the yeah. more power you're giving it over you, um, and you don't have to do that, and that you can take action into your own hands, um, and you don't have to accept it for what it is. Yeah, and and I think if anything, that's what Wirt learns. And end. I I think that specifically is a very american way to end this show um like it's not necessarily about morality it's about self-fulfillment it's not don't go into the woods and uh don't trust strangers or um don't take candy from strangers or it's coming of age yeah it's 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 you know self-fulfillment it's um as as Campbell would say, it's initiation. Um, yeah. It's growing into an adult by discovering who you are. Right, and, and, and uh, it's not growing I think in- that also is something that's, like, a, a very big part of, like, Gravity Falls. Yeah, It's also about growing up and, you know, becoming like, an, an adult. Yeah. Um, or a teen. Yeah. A technical teenager. <laughs> um, for sure, I think... It's exactly about that. And it's also about questioning the reality around you and questioning what is real and is there a conspiracy? Um, Is there not? And if there is a conspiracy, is it actually the one you thought it was or is it another one? But whereas Over the Garden Wall, I think, is very concerned with confronting um, you know, superstitions, I feel like Gravity Falls is just a celebration of American superstition oh, and small towns. It just loves the small town aesthetic so much to the point where like every single side character in that town is recognizable and has their own stories to tell. For sure. I feel like in a lot of ways, um, Gravity Falls, it, I mean, obviously it's like the flip side of things like X-Files and Twin Peaks um, and just that sort of sure but it makes it small and young yes and the the fact that it's children doing the solving on these x-files type capers yeah um, just makes it that much more pure um just unfiltered by by adult skepticism but it's also just very funny and it's it's all celebratory yes it's very celebratory and i think it's a really interesting contrast to like I think something that 
those types of shows have in common is this like American Southern Gothic uh, sort of feeling to them where there's something oppressive lurking in the background. Whereas in Gravity Falls, there's like a larger mystery, but it doesn't feel oppressive in the same way. It's not stopping these kids from doing what they want to do. It's in fact enabling them to live bigger and more exciting and adventurous lives than they otherwise would have. Um, Well, to be fair, it also draws a lot from, you know, conspiracy theories. Oh, for sure. The idea that the villain is a member of the Illuminati. Yeah. Which, I mean, it is the the Masons that absolutely traces back to early Europe. But there's something about uh, the Illuminati in America that that feels very, you know, it feels very real. Maybe it's also a result of capitalism because we notice all these rich, all these rich people and we think, hmm. Maybe they're lizards. Maybe they're lizards, or maybe <laughs> maybe, maybe they, they all know each other and devil. are in a conspiracy together. And it's like, well, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's a conspiracy, but it's just the system we all agree to live under. Yeah. Consistently. Um, um, but, like, yeah, I mean, I think the same thing is covered by, you know, Nicolas Cage and Jerry Bruckheimer in uh, National Treasure. A great, great And National movie. Treasure 2 Book of Secrets. No, that one's bad. Um, <laughs> maybe we should do a compare and contrast about what made the first one so good and the second one so awful. Um, <laughs> I think that's what everyone's itching to see is a deep breakdown of Book of Secrets. Guys, tweet at us if you want it. National we'll make Treasure it happen two. at Talking Tropes. Come on, let us know. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I think also, um, uh, this is an interesting example, I think, but, um, s- actually, no, let's talk about Scooby-Doo first. Scooby-Doo, yeah, I, I think, think Scooby-Doo overlaps with, with Gravity Falls as well. You know, there's an episode, um, the, the Legend of the Gobblewonker, which takes, you know, a European myth of the, the Loch Ness Monster and just kind of plops it into, a, you know, a tiny fishing lake in a small town. Right. And then when they uncover the actual monster, it was, you know... It's always like a guy. A guy. Which... It was a guy in a mask terrorizing people. And he's like, you meddling kids. Yeah, which just which like I think Scooby-Doo. I think that, again, goes back to the same thing that's happening in Over the Garden Wall is the Dorothy and Oz thing where... It's yeah, unmasking. Unmasking. Um, and unmasking isn't really a part of European tales or folk tales at all, as far as I'm aware. Um, well, I think this might even be just, uh, it might not even be a major part of early American folk tales, but it's just in our modern retellings, we want to see the mask come off, partly because we need more resolution right. to modern tales, and partly because we do have a lot more skepticism about that um, puritanical, superstitious stuff. Yeah. We um, don't find out that the old prospector ghost is actually a dead prospector <laughs> right. He's buried in coal. Right. He's a guy in a mask trying to scare people away because there's gold in them hills. <laughs> um, <laughs> God, so much of our media is so critical of capitalism and people wonder and why yet. wonder why kids these days are less enamored with buying napkins. 
Um, <laughs> Donald Trump is just going like, you meddling kids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, honestly. Um, yeah, so so it's just like uh, Over the Garden Wall and Wizard of Oz and even Gravity Falls to some extent, um, though I think less so, it, it's, it's all about that reveal and that question that skepticism um yeah you know like shaggy and scooby always believe wholeheartedly that it's a zombie man uh so so interestingly all of those like uh movies like scooby-doo and zombie island and the cat man island or vampires at midnight i don't know what they're all called um I think you just described the same movie three times, and it was all um, Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. Well, there's the Zombie um, Island one, but then there's also the, the like, vampire one, or is that... That's the same that's one. That's the same one? All right. And then there was the 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 Witch's Ghost. Okay. And uh, Alien Invader one was there's, really bad. There's a couple of them that do sort of leave that question open of maybe... Not yep. like the main bad guy is fake and revealed, but like there might one of the Not side in zombie characters. Island. No, those were those were legit zombies. Yeah. And legit cat vampires. Yeah. Oh boy. That was a wild one. Yeah. I mean Scooby Doo in general is pretty wild. Yeah. Um I, I think if we ever do an episode just about Hanna Barbera cartoons and uh-huh. like hit us up if you want that. Um, cause I can talk about Hanna-Barbera forever <laughs> is that like pretty much everything that they did in Scooby-Doo was super derivative of something else. Right. Um, <laughs> which, you know, that's just what they do. Scooby-Doo is just Astro from the Jetsons, but uh-huh. with like a new coat of paint. But and, way like, better. The fact that he loves Scooby snacks, like that was done before with like other dog characters that love snacks. Right. But, I mean, the brilliance of Hanna-Barbera is that they're able to make it... Recycle. Profitable as Reduce, fuck. reuse, recycle. That's yeah. the Hanna-Barbera promise. Um, it worked. Uh, <laughs> but, so, like, you know, the, the whole mystery-solving thing, I mean, that became everything that that they did and and the myths that they ended up uncovering a lot of them were your classic halloween myths of you know there's a spooky dracula out tonight right but other times it would be just weird stuff like the ghost of a, an old sea captain or you know then they would they would have these stories these like folk tales small town ghost stories yeah um which, and they which, always felt very American. Which, yeah. And and the fact that they're always far from somewhere else. They're always in these, like, isolated rural locations um, for the most part. It's, right. It definitely falls into that. Um, that sort of big category, I think. Yeah. Old properties... This is my uncle's house yeah. in the old abandoned pie factory. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's also a little bit of a difference between this and um, horror stories um, that get told set in America. So like stuff like Supernatural or Buffy um, and stuff like that. Because I think those are more interested in 
they're less interested in that unmasking. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. They're more interested in Jesus and yeah, and they're a the little demons and the ghosts are just the puppets of the demons. Yeah, that's it's true. I think though, there's less. Um, they're more the religious. The devil has possessed you, my son. <laughs> I love this southern preacher you've got going on. <laughs> Let's go to a revival, man. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, cut so, all this, please. Like, supernatural, there's literally angels and demons, and Buffy, the vampires, are basically... From hell. From hell. They're the demons of hell. Like, that's the whole idea is that, like, they're over the hell mouth, uh, the town, so the very mouth of the I'm sorry, I just keep going back. To I that mean, wall. you're killing it. You're selling <laughs> it, man. I'm telling you. Um, so they don't really they don't really care about, you know, well, the small town ghost stories of. Yeah. Well, there was a little girl and every day she would go and get the milk. But then the winter came and she was gone. But mm. you can still hear the milk getting. Yeah. <laughs> clink clink yeah ghost stories like there's still i think it's interesting because they definitely have that puritanical like heaven and hell like ah scary like like there's more morality to them You're and right. less unmasking i think um because the... yeah i mean that's fair because it's a fight of good versus evil right there's less skepticism and there is no skepticism yeah um so i think i think those things are less fantasy americana like fantasy americana to me is definitely involves skepticism um at some sure. point um and so i think yeah that, that's why how do you think that plays into something that's you know more intentionally mythic like american gods yeah so i i think american gods is like a really interesting example um like it's very supernatural it's not you know, you're not supposed to be skeptical that these gods exist. No, and and that's sort of the whole point is that the... Well, I mean, that is sort of the whole point is that we have become skeptical of the gods that we as immigrants brought over from our past, from Europe, from the Nordic countries, from w Egypt. Um, and it, it's like sort of the basic premise is that these gods get their power from their believers basically. And when people don't really believe anymore, they become weaker and that these old gods are facing off against the new gods. Um, and the new gods are things like technology and money and hmm. the internet and stuff like that. Um, and it's, it's sort of that clash versus the new and old um, Which is what America always has been. Exactly. And I think American Gods is American in that, one, it does take place in a lot of small towns. There's a lot of, like, road trip narrative going on um, as Mr. Wednesday sort of drags our protagonist uh, across the United States, basically to recruit a bunch of old gods for the upcoming war. Um and we take a real long pit stop in a very cold, like, North Dakotan town for a while and just sort of live life there. Um, and, and it really does have that just quiet, like, this feels a little bit more 
X-Files Twin Peaksy to me. Um, sure. In, in that it it does have that sort of oppressive something lingering over it, that, that adulthood right. to it. Um, but I think ultimately it is, there's still unmasking that happens in it. There are reveals and twists. Um, and there's a lot of definite moral ambiguity where it's not just like the new gods are better than the old gods or the old gods are better than the new gods. Um, For there's, sure. and, and again, the whole thing is a really big self-coming-of-age, so to speak, tale for Shadow, the protagonist, um, which I think falls in line much more with Over the Garden Wall and with, um, like, The Wizard of Oz than it does so more so on the Buffy or Supernatural side of things or even European fairy tale side of things. Like, there's not, right. there's not a morality tale going on. This is all about sort of one man's journey. Um, and I, I think that's also an, another big thing about all of these shows. It's about one person or one group of people's journey. Um, sure. I mean, I think you could find that, um, you know, even in German fairy that's tales. That's true. Or, yeah, yeah I guess Hansel tales. and Gretel is, is still just about these two kids on a journey. The difference, the difference being that it's, you know. But it's not about their it, growth. I think a lot of times it's about the return. Yes. I think American myths tend to be more about the return home yeah. rather than reaching like a destination or you know something you know something about little red riding hood she's got to get to her grandma's house it's not really about getting back getting right. back is the easy part and, with, and with american stories i feel like it's always about i got to get home again right and little mermaid it's always about like i think that's the thing about american myths versus european myths is european myths are we got to get somewhere because <laughs> here's not working. So we have to go somewhere. And sometimes the moral is like with Little Mermaid, if you do go somewhere, you're going to die. You'll die. <laughs> Leaving is Don't bad. Don't go somewhere. Don't go places. And, and, whereas with American myths, a lot of it is, yeah, it's scary and hard to leave, um, but it it's worth it. And sometimes you need to leave to figure out that you have to come back. Do you want to go back and talk? I don't think we need to go back and talk about folktales. No. no. Um, we talked about haunted houses. We talked about um, like like other spook tropes. Um, I wanted to bring up The Witch at some point. That yeah. horror movie that came out a couple years ago that was set in like a puritanical town. And it was about people being ostracized. And then attacked by witches and demons. Oh, is that the one where they're, like, in the woods, but then the twist is they're not actually set in, like, the 1600s? It's No, like... that's the village. Oh, that's the village. I'm talking about the witch. Uh, I don't know. All right, why don't you start us off and we'll talk about the witch. Explain to me what it is. I don't know. I never watched it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so maybe we shouldn't talk about it. I just wanted to like bring it up because I know that that's what it's about. It's literally about this. So I just didn't want people to think that I didn't know about it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's fine. <laughs> when I googled the witch, it comes up with why I, an actual practicing witch, hate the witch. Yeah. It's not for you. <laughs> oh, boy. 
All right, I think I know what I want to say to sort of wrap us up. Okay, let's 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 hit it. Um. So. Yeah, I think to bring it back to Over the Garden Wall, um, there's a beautiful song that uh, is the opening of the the entire show, and they repeat it again um, towards the end and every now and again. Um, but in the song, there's the line, The Loveliest Lies of All, um, where it, it's basically this idea that um, why not pretend that things are fine? Why not pretend for a minute or two? Um, and that through pretending, we'll sort of come to to know ourselves and we'll be able to unmask. Wasn't it saying memories are the loveliest lies of all? Is that is that what it is? What's the line right before that? Look. Shoot, hold on. As the gentle wind echoes through the leaves, as autumn colors fall. Um, over the garden. Something, something of ancient memories. Opening song lyrics. Lies of all. Uh, led through the mist by the milk light of moon, all that was lost is revealed. Our long bygone burdens, mere echoes of the spring, but where have we come and where shall we end? If dreams can't come true, then why not pretend? How the gentle winds beckons through the leaves as autumn colors fall, somewhere lost in the... And dancing in a swirl of golden memories, the loveliest lies of Yeah. Me. As we look back, maybe even nostalgically... On America's past, a lot of it is a bunch of fucking bullshit. <laughs> yeah. And we ought to be skeptical of it. We should I be. Think that's, should... What, that's the purpose of Fantasy Americana, what it should be, is to take our foundational American myths and unmask them. Yeah. And I think, I think that's what... I, I think that's what we're getting at. This ah. has been kind of a rambly episode, kind of a we're figuring it out as we go sort of thing. But I think, you know, that's the point because this isn't a very well-developed trope. It's a bunch of weird shit on TV tropes. It's Scooby-Doo and then a bunch of Disney movies. (laughs) I don't know if those Disney movies belong necessarily. Yeah, I I don't think they do either. They just picked every Disney movie that was set in America and called it Fantasy Americana. But what I, when I think of Fantasy Americana, I, I agree with you. I think of, Puritanism, superstition, and unmasking. Yeah. And this is like the, the trifecta that, that comes into everything. It's American skepticism of European myths. Absolutely. And those are the loveliest lies of all. Yeah. It's it's taking that the familiar and making it unfamiliar and then asking us to to question it. Um, and, I, and I think that's... Uh, but maybe you guys can be skeptical of us maybe we're full of a bunch of shit yeah so like comment and subscribe (laughs) whatever you do on soundcloud yeah or whatever or or whatever podcast listening service you're using itunes spotify whatever man we're we're everywhere anywhere that podcasts are at us at talking tropes uh you can support us on patreon which is also talking tropes yeah i mean 
Or if you're an anti-capitalist, you know, just comment. Yeah. We just we just want to hear your voice. Please. Is anyone out <laughs> know there? That there's someone out there. I'm so alone. In the woods. <laughs> in the yeah. unknown. Um, so Ooh. we'll see you guys next week for some more Doctor Who recaps. Hope oh. you're excited. 